take a look at the rebalancing, if not once a year, maybe once every other year, to make sure that your allocations are what you want them to be. Otherwise, it just gets out of whack. Becoming a millionaire isn't just about growing your money. It's also about protecting and preserving your wealth by using the right financial strategies for your situation. Welcome. This is Middle Class Millionaire with John Choi. John has his Master's of Science in Financial Services and is a certified financial planner and the president of Epiphany Capital. Welcome into another edition of Middle Class Millionaire with John Choi and myself. I'm going to talk about 401k mistakes you need to avoid. I got a list of a couple of top ones here, and uh, we'll see how that all plays out. And of course, if you've got questions and need some help around your 401k and you don't want to make some of these mistakes, then reach out to John, who is a CFP certified financial planner at Epiphany Capital. You can find him online at johnchoy.net. That's johnchoy.net. What's going on, my friend? How are you doing this week? Great. Good to uh, start talking to you again and uh, excited about these 401k plans that we're going to be talking about simply because it affects the majority of Americans sure does. here. Uh, and not just 401ks, but 403bs and you know 457s and all the other IRS uh, named yeah. plans, if you will. The, IR, the uh, alphabet soup. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the 401k, 403b, TSP, and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, look, it's a great tool, right? I mean, saving in a 401k can be easy. And for just for sake of the argument, we're just going to kind of call everything a 401k, but can be easy and painless way to build, you know, your retirement savings. But because it is, John, so easy and painless, it, it also can be kind of easy to ignore. You kind of set it and forget it. Many people do. And it can, it can lead to mistakes. So let's cover some top tips here for people to ponder. Like number one, uh, you might have heard them called strays, uh, stray 401ks, or maybe orphaned 401ks. Probably not as popular of a term now, but leaving money basically behind in an old job. Not the best move. Yeah. So that reminds me of, um, I'll tell you a quick story. I was teaching a retirement class and one of the uh, topics was just that, an orphan 401k. And one of the a student stands up and says, I've got a story to share. So it's really not my story, but it's his story. So his father-in-law used to work for a company that had a 401k, and he left the company. wasn't really a, a huge plan, but you know he just kind of left it there and went on, right? And years and years go by. He kind of forgets about it, leaves it. And then the IRS knocks on his door and says, hey, you did not take a distribution, your required minimum distribution from such and such 401k. And he says, oh my gosh, I, I forgot about it. And he said, they said, that's okay. Well, it's only a 50% penalty for the distribution you didn't take. And he was, you know, visibly upset. Right. So, um, the point of that story is that if he had rolled that over into an IRA, the custodian, whether it be Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, whoever, they would have basically beat down his door and saying, hey, we've got to get you your required minimum distribution so you don't suffer this 50% penalty. And they would have reminded him. And with his old orphan 401k, they just kind of said, hey, he doesn't work here anymore. No one knows him. They just kind of left it alone and no follow-up. So, mm, Yeah. 
Yeah, that was a, a big one. Yeah, you definitely don't want to leave them behind, and and it's all about control. By doing so, you just don't have as much control as if you rolled it over into an IRA. So that's a that's a simple mistake that we can we can fix. That's one. Uh, number two, John is failing to rebalance often enough. And twenty twenty two has been a nice reminder, maybe not nice, but it's been a reminder that rebalancing is a good idea. Because if you hadn't, you know, you know, as twenty going through twenty one, you were probably just fine with the risk. Uh, levels and the allocations, but maybe that didn't play out so well in 22. Yeah. So, you know, if you leave things the way they are, let's just say you had a 50-50 allocation, 50% in mutual stock mutual funds and 50% in bond mutual funds. Over time, the stocks should outperform the bonds over long term. So 10, 20, 30 years later, it's not going to look like 50-50 anymore. It'll probably look more like 70-30 or maybe even 80-20 tilted toward the stock part. Mm -hmm. And when you're 30 years older, obviously, you probably want to go the other way and get a little bit more conservative, not more aggressive. So it is really important to take a look at the rebalancing, if not once a year, maybe once every other year, to make sure that your allocations are what you want them to be. Otherwise, it just gets out of whack. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's important to do in rebalancing often. Again, and that's part of the, you know, like annual reviews and things of that nature. So certainly a good idea to be bringing those up if it's not being brought up to you. Uh, let's go to number three, John, which I think is a big one. And that's kind of sticking everything in the target date fund and assuming that, you know, people, we feel like it's kind of customized. And I get it. It's, it's low-hanging fruit. It's easy for those of us who are not fans of I don't know, math or finance. It's like, hey, great, 2040, that's when I'm going to be of age to retire. Boom, let's do that. But it may not be the best choice for you. So let's first define what a target date fund is. Okay. Yeah. Um, target date fund is if you're going to retire, as you said, in the, in the year 2040, the goal or the supposed goal of that fund is if we're in 2022, it's going to be, it's going to say, oh, you've got 18 years to retirement. So we're going to allocate this to uh, more aggressively. So it might be 80% stocks, 20% bonds. And as the years go by, maybe we're in 2030, it's supposed to get more and more conservative or shift, uh, rebalance, right? Uh, more into the bond portion of it. So maybe it might look like 60-40 at one point. And then when you're in 2040 at retirement, it'll look a lot more in bonds than in stocks. Mm -hmm. The problem that I saw one year was that there was a target date fund that was past the, the current date of it. So in other words, if it's 2022 right now, it'd be a 2020 target fund. And when we looked at the allocation, it was still like 70% stocks, 30% bonds. We're like, whoa, this is just not right. And that happened basically back in 2008. And people thought that their investments were safe. They were in a 2005 target date fund. It was 2008. They're like, oh, okay, bonds are doing well. Stock market's getting killed. Um, but like I said, with an audit of that, we found out it was heavily still toward the equity portion of it. So you really want to look at and keep these guys feet to the fire when you're choosing target date funds. Yeah, and a lot of times they're not the most efficient either. I mean, we think of them that way, but as far as from a from a fee standpoint, right? They can also have quite a bit of fees going on in there as well. So, right. So the target date fund, it's a fund of funds, right? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's two levels of fees. So you have the ingredients 
the actual mutual funds that the target fund is made up of, and they'll have a, uh, a fund level fee. And then the packaging fee is what I call it. And the target date fund has also a fee, and that's their cost or that's their fee to make the right allocation, to choose the right mutual funds and to package it all up. So there's two fund fee levels there, and you got to really watch out for that. You got to know, again, you got to look into it, you got to audit it, and make sure you understand all that. Okay. All right. Number, f- uh, yeah, let's go to our fourth one here on the list. Assuming that your fees and costs are minimal, you know, since you never really see the statements, well, I mean, you do. This is a tricky one, too, because first of all, many people don't even look at them, right, John? And then there are some things they don't, they don't make it easy to find some of this stuff. Yeah. And that's because you've got these funds that have the same kind of names that you might see in the retail space, but they have a different share class. So the stock symbols, you can't really type it into Yahoo or Amazon and really, or Morningstar, really um, extract out the exact fee. Some are more, some are less, but it's really, really difficult to, um, to look at that. And the only way to really, truly know what you're invested in is if you ask for the prospectus from your HR person. And how often does that happen? You're right. Yeah. So that's something that you've got to watch out for. And there's, there's also these soft dollar compensation uh, arrangements that they have. And those are in the fine print. And it says, hey, you know, if you go into a certain family of funds... Uh, we are going to give the company a marketing, right, mm-hmm. a soft dollar marketing fee. And those have been, you know, we call those bribes in the real world. I, I know a thing or two because I lived in Cook County all my life, Cook County, Illinois. So <laughs> uh, they call those bribes. Um, in Cook County, they just say, you know, uh, campaign contributions, right? There you um, go. But yeah, in 401k land, they call them soft dollar arrangements, or you know marketing costs that they kick back to the employer for really putting in a lot of that fun family mutual funds. Gotcha. So those are something you got to watch out for. Okay. Well, that's the four I had, John. Anything uh, that you'd like to add? You know, the way that I think people allocate and choose what funds they want to go into, I think this is the most popular one is is via track record investing. And what they do is they'll look at their 12 choices that they have in their 401k and they'll say, oh, let's take a look at maybe not the one-year return, but let's take a look at the three-year, the five-year, and the 10-year return. And they'll choose, let's say, four of the top performing 10-year funds. And they'll say, you know, I'm going to put a quarter in each. And the problem is, number one, past performance is no guarantee of future results. And number two is if, for example, small cap stocks did really well in the last 10 years, Mm -hmm. those are going to be the highest performers, obviously. And now you don't have any diversification. You've got four small cap mutual funds. And so <laughs> when they fall, they're all going to fall in unison. Right. And so really you think you're diversified, but you're really not diversified. And even if they're not all small cap funds, I find that a lot of funds, they're really fishing out of the same pond. I mean, how many funds own Amazon or Apple or you know one of these bigger names? They all have them. And so 
you might have three mutual funds or four funds that have a hundred stocks or hundred companies each in those funds, but unique holdings, they're probably like maybe 150 or so because the common 100, they're all in all of those four funds. So that's something you got to watch out for. Track record investing and, and overlap is really, that's key. Yeah. And that's what happens a lot. We, we wind up, you know, some people think that, well, I got 10 mutual funds from 10 different companies. And so I must be diversified. And ultimately you wind up with a lot of the same thing and you just get that overlap. So the great point, great point as well. So those are top five uh, 401k tips, things you might need to know that can certainly help you out. And of course, as always, if you need some help, reach out to John and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, Middle Class Millionaire. You can find us on all the major apps, Apple, Google, Spotify, Uh, just in the search box of those apps. You can just type in Middle Class Millionaire and find the podcast that way. Or you can stop by John's website, johnchoy.net that's johnchoy.net you can also book a call right there online as well so lots of good tools tips and resources uh john thanks for hanging out and chatting with me we are into early december so you and i'll be back with one more before the year winds down so uh, thanks for hanging out and i'll see you in a couple weeks mark always a pleasure absolutely we'll see you next time right here on middle class millionaire with certified financial planner and president at epiphany capital john choy Epiphany Capital is a registered investment advisor, RIA, located in the state of Illinois. Epiphany Capital provides investment advisory and related services for clients nationally. Epiphany Capital will maintain all applicable registration and licenses as required by various states in which Epiphany Capital conducts business, as applicable. Epiphany Capital renders individualized responses to persons in a particular state only after complying with all regulatory requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption or exclusion.